All right, folks, welcome back to the Mountaineer Media Podcast. CJ, what's up, brother? How are you, Coop? I'm doing well. I'm well. It's going to be 78 degrees, and I'm actually <laughs> sitting in West Virginia at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Wait, you you are soon to be an uncle. Can we say that? Or I am you? an uncle. Or it, yeah, congratulations, you are an uncle. Wow. How's it feel? Big Uncle Coop here. Good, good. Yeah, my, my older sister, uh, I don't know if she anticipated me talking about this on the podcast. <laughs> right out of the game, um, yeah. But yeah, she had a healthy baby boy, and they live in Chicago. And you know, my sister is a doctor. Her husband's a doctor. They went to WVU uh, SOM down there in Lewisburg School of Medicine down there in Lewisburg. They're DOs, and they live out in Chicago. And they had a baby, and it was born yesterday. Or yeah, yeah, born yesterday. Or no, born Monday. I'm sorry. Gosh, um, it's been a heck of a 48 hours. Um, and he's healthy. He's good. And I'm going to teach him golf as soon as I can. Uh, but yeah, it's another little family member. <laughs> Do you have like a, a nickname? So my sister also had her first kid 18 months ago, 18 months ago. So I've been uncle CJ for a little bit, but I haven't found like the good nickname yet. Like everybody, like the granddad's pappy, uh, yeah. you, you know, like some good, good nicknames. Not that that's a, not a great example, but like uncle siege, I, I'm still working on trying to figure out my name. So Coop is pretty cool. Though. Uncle, uncle Coop, Coop yeah. is kind of cool. That sounds, that could be a rapper. That could be like a, Uncle yes. Coop. Love that could be, a, yeah. <laughs> drop some bars for us. Yeah. Anyway. anyway congrats yeah. to them. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations to you too. But uh, yeah, bring us back to, to the episode where, where we're going. You've tuned into this, uh, guys, and you've been listening to us now for a hundred and I think 10 episodes. And uh, every week I say it, that these people are West Virginia rock stars, but they truly are. Cassia Lilly is the vice president of operations. Uh, at Goodwill in the Kanawha Valley kind of district region. And you're going to learn how kind of where that spans and the the input across West Virginia or the impact rather uh, across West Virginia. But CJ, it was a it was a great episode. And I guess I learned quite a bit. And folks that are about to listen to this, it's Goodwill is more than just you drop off your clothes and someone else yeah. gets, you know, your recycled sweatshirt. It's a lot more than that. And she walks us all through those details. And it was really kind of tremendous to learn about it. Yeah, and and Cassie was very aware that that is still the perception that Goodwill has, and and Goodwill probably will forever have that perception. It's a company that's been around for decades and decades. It's been around for a long time, and I do think that the the majority of the country's interaction with Goodwill is taking old clothes, throwing them in a garbage bag or some kind of bag, taking them down to Goodwill, and you know dropping them off, and then you you never see or hear anything else ever again. You take them, yeah. they take care of them, and then you just expect them to be put to good use. And maybe you've been in a Goodwill store a couple of times because they do have some good stuff. And as we talk about, people take, you know, go into Goodwill, buy old Goodwill stuff, and then clean it up real nice and resell it. We talk about that. But Goodwill's services are much more vast than just this pick up and drop off kind of perspective that people have. And so... I mean, talk about stuff like they employed nationwide over 200,000 people over the last couple of years. So 200,000 people are in a current job because of the application that Goodwill, you know, provided, not the necessarily uh, written application, but the things that they did to help them, the job training, the career growth, climbing the ladder, you know, and taking people that were going from recovery and helping them find a new path in life. So I mean, Goodwill, and, and not just like low-paying jobs, like Cassie makes a good point, like a lot of the jobs that they 
put people in. They've placed people in here specifically in West Virginia are like $15 an hour kind of jobs. So, I mean, they really do a lot more than you think in the community. And it's not just even job growth or uh, community development and, and dropping the clothes off. It's even more than that. So Cassie is a, a true rock star, like you said, as always. And um, yeah, just really enjoyed this episode because it brought some clarity and spotlighted uh, a topic that I did not know about a ton. I'm sure the same for you. And so I think this is going to be a very educational episode for people that are wanting to know, like, what is Goodwill? What more does Goodwill do? And this is the exact episode that you need to listen to. We enjoyed it, and we appreciate her jumping on. I led us some time, folks. And we do have some other announcements before we get uh, get you to this episode. So yep. if you've been paying attention, you know what the Almost Heaven Classic is. But we also had a big news last week that Brandon Dennison is going to finalize what we're calling a keynote panel, a discussion panel, a live yep, podcast. Yep, yep. You've heard us say these words. But at the Almost Heaven Classic, he's going to sit on stage alongside Brad Smith and Sarah Biller, and we had him on the podcast. If that name sounds very familiar, it is very familiar because we just had him on a couple of weeks ago. And he is founded and is a CEO of something called Coalfield Development. And they're truly laying the foundation work that needs to be done for strong, healthy labor forces and economic revitalization in Appalachia, in southern West Virginia, and in southern coal fields. And we truly could not imagine a better guest. So we asked him. He was like, heck yeah, let's do this. Yeah. We announced him last week, guys. So yeah, three panelists. And that's all going to take place up there at that big event that we keep talking about, the Almost Heaven Classic on June 9th. You can come to it. You can listen to it. You can get inspired by it. You can meet people. You can collaborate with these people. You can shake their hand. You can form the partnerships that will propel West Virginia forward. And if we can play a small little piece facilitating that, then that's our biggest dream, right, with the Almost Heaven yep. Classic. So exactly. Tell people that they can where they can get their ticket and what else may be other features of the classic. Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> mountaineermedia.org, head there and then click on the Almost Heaven Classic tab at the top. And there's more information about the AHC on that webpage. And then from there, you can be able to, you'll be able to buy your tickets at Eventbrite. Um, but we'll give you the direct link on our website. So just head over there, click on the Almost Heaven Classic tab, and boom, you're going to get everything right at your fingertips. And I do kind of want to clarify, <clears throat> excuse me, some of uh, maybe this misperception out there. Uh, that this is a golf tournament with like a Friday reception or something like that. But we've had people say, uh, okay, so you're doing golf Saturday, but what is this Friday thing? And it's, you know, it's, we are having this golf outing, the Almost Heaven Classic golf portion of the weekend on Saturday. Which but the weekend itself, which it, yeah, oh, it's going to be phenomenal. And I probably wouldn't do it justice because you and one of our live board members, all of our live board members, Josie Barnhart, Jocelyn Barnhart, Andrew Mons and Logan Garrison have been on top of this since day one. And the golf tournament, the golf outing is turning out to be, it's going to be incredible. But it's not just that. Friday evening is going to be a networking mixer, a South by Southwest, you know, um, of West Virginia, bringing innovators, big thinkers, small business owners, nonprofit leaders, artists, all to Canaan Valley. And we just want to get West Virginians in the same room, high performance professionals, so they can meet, build valuable connections with other West Virginians and keep West Virginia ideas in West Virginia. And so that's that's the goal. So Friday, yes, is, um, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's it's a mixer before the golf tournament, but it's going to be a networking mixer that we hope that a lot of value comes out of it, comes from it, because we're coming, we're, we're having so many 
awesome, amazing leaders from West Virginia coming up there. So it's going to be a great time, going to be a great opportunity for everybody to meet people. And then Saturday's golf outing is just going to be a, a blast too. So, you know, there's a nice jacket, a trophy, which we can talk more about in the weeks ahead, but uh, cash prizes, putter giveaway, driver giveaway, hole-in-one opportunity, um, popsicles, a falcon, <laughs> a falcon. falcon. Like this is the national anthem. Like this is going to be, it's going to, it's going to be unlike anything else that's ever happened in West Virginia. And to us, man, this has been the blood, sweat and tears that we've been putting in for the last eight months now. And so we can't wait to see it to come to fruition June 9th and June 10th. And we hope you're there because it's going to be a blast and you're going to want to come back every single year. So that's all I got there. Yeah. Come up there, guys. Go on, go on the website, get your ticket. There's still plenty of tickets. There's only six golf teams available left. So if you're listening, yeah. Six Jump on teams. the golf. They're going to yes. go fast next month. But there is yes. plenty of Friday tickets uh, available, and they're $40. That covers your heavy hors d'oeuvres, your drink ticket, and entry into the show, the the you know, the event evening of the night. Um, yeah, so come to that, guys. Um, other kind of headline stuff with the Mountaineer Media, we still have the existing deal with Loving West Virginia, one of the best uh, retail merchandise vendors in the state. Go to our website, get a discount code, save some money on there. Um, as always, I'll put out a blanket, uh, you know, solicitation. If you want to blog, if you want to guest write for Mountaineer Media, that's an open door that's fluid that we keep open with people. Hey, come on, share your opinion. This platform is not just CJ and I, you know, pontificating our ideas. This is an open that's a collaboration. Great word. That is a phenomenal pontification. Word. I busted yeah, pontification. Is it? That's a good one. Every two or three months, because then if not, you're like an asshole, like right. So, so it's been since like last November that I used it. So, so you can use it. But we, we, we want to be that, right? We want it to be collaborative, and that's why you see us doing all these partnerships. The Me Cuppa deal. Go to Me Cuppa. Get free yes. cards. Like this is like we're a conduit of stories and ideas and partnerships and prosperity. And I, I think you guys get that, but we always just like to reiterate it, and it, it means the world to us that anybody actually listens to this or comments on our TikToks or, you know, watches our LinkedIn or whatever. So thank you. We appreciate you. This yep. episode is phenomenal and let's get to you right now. The uh, sun does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. CJ Harvey here, Cooper Zimmerman with me as always, Morning Cooper. And then we've got a great guest today, Cassia Lilly, she's the VP of Goodwill Industries of the Kanawha Valley. But like we were just talking about just a second ago, your reach is much greater than just the Kanawha Valley. Maybe you can kind of get into uh, all of the, the territories and this part of West Virginia that you guys kind of have an influence in. Sure, sure, sure. Good morning. And thank you for having me. I always enjoy listening to your podcast. So we're well, our, name, our name definitely doesn't uh, really... Uh, tell the real story of where we are and how uh, much territory we have. So just a little uh, better understanding. Our Goodwill operates 20 counties inside of West Virginia. We actually have six other, or there's six total Goodwills operating inside the state of West Virginia. And the cool thing with that is every territory has their own board of directors and CEO, and we can do what's best for those communities that we serve because the needs may be we are experiencing here might not be the same thing that the Morris County and Panama are experiencing, but our counties go as far as west as Putnam County. We pick up Kanawha, and then we go north and pick up Jackson and West County. And then the rest, we have all of Southern West Virginia. As far east and um, north, 
I would say kind of as you pick up Clay and Pocahontas, and then we have all the counties around from Mercer, uh, all the way over to Wyoming, Monroe, just kind of having an idea. Yeah. Yep. And, well, can I see, I like to, like, how can I put this? I think a lot of folks' relationship with Goodwill is different, right? Because some, for some people, it's where they feel like they make their contributions, whether they donate things or they, you know, they help and support volunteer or whatever it may be. For some people on the other side of the the kind of angle, they go to it as a resource and they buy things, they shop things, they get things, um, you know, at a, maybe a fair price. And then, of course, there's the community programs and impact that is kind of broader than just those micro, you know, transactions between two individuals. So maybe if you, if you can help me understand, like what, what drew you into working with this kind of like mission driven company and it, was it that sort of, it, was there anything in one in particular aspect that kind of pulled you into this type of work with Goodwill? That's, that's a pretty good question. So I traditionally have worked for for-profit retailers before I came to um, Goodwill. And at that time, when I was looking for a new job, um, I was actually working for Kmart and we were part of closing down some stores. So as that was ending, I knew that I wanted to work somewhere that had more of a a, a purpose behind it. Yeah. So uh, the, when the opportunity came to be a district manager for some of the Southern stores in West Virginia, and I'm actually born and raised in Southern West Virginia, it was, uh, this was the job that resonated with me, passionate about our whole state here. And I believe that um, through the power of work which is kind of a play on words for what we're doing here at Goodwill, but through the power of work, I know that we can partner with a lot of other people. Impact and uh, just my love state. Actually, even going back to work with for-profit retailer, only well, it made a bigger difference here. Gotcha. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it kind of, Going back to Cooper's question there, too, and to piggyback off of a point, you know, some people think of it as just like a clothing store, you know, or, you know, what are the services that Goodwill actually provides? Because, you know, it's not just about um, taking in old clothes and cleaning them up, washing them and reselling them. I think that might be a perception some people have probably. I mean, for a long time, that's that's all that I knew about Goodwill up until, you know, you kind of get more involved in the community and, you know, you dropped your clothes off and, they were going to somebody more, you know, in need. And that was the idea. And so maybe you can kind of expand upon that and, you know, what are the services that Goodwill actually provides? Start with a little, uh, maybe more of a history. So you're not wrong. Most everybody knows us for either a retail store or a donation location. It really kind of started back with our founder. In 1902, I believe, we opened our very first retail store, and it started a little bit before that with him doing some mission work of trying to get people reskilled. But over the years, our well, our services really have changed. So um, after World War II, we really started focusing more on uh, computer and job training as an overarching goal, just because our soldier our winter soldiers were coming home and they there was no work for them. So really. Since about 1942, Goodwill as a whole has really focused in on helping folks with employment barriers move forward. The, some of the um, uh, cool things I would say that we're doing here in our Goodwill that um, people may or may not know about, and we can dive into any of the other things. Um, so I'll start with, we actually have 16 traditional brick and mortar retail stores in our territory. They're 
in 10 of our counties um, that we have a mission component inside of it. So mm-hmm. the lion's share of our revenue and our funding is created through our social entrepreneur business, but it's through the retail stores. But in that every business line we have, we have a mission component in it. So a very important one for us, and it's how we're able to serve more people, is what we call a paid training program. Every one of our retail stores um, has at least a minimum of two reserved employment spots where we um, are able to place folks, whether they kind of walk into us off the street or they come to us from a referral from our partners like DRS or DHHR or either other local nonprofit. We know we don't, we know we, we don't want to do all the services, but especially in Kodoma County, we're in the, um, a great area where there's so many other people doing great things. We, we work off the referrals, but we can place folks in jobs, which we see a lot of folks pumping that, that are needing work back on their resume where they have large gaps. And we see it a lot in unpaid um, family caregiving. And so they come here, we pay them for 60 days and we work them through like what we would call like soft skills of how to call in, how to request a day off, how you really can't use four letter words with your supervisor, all in a very protected environment. And then at the end of that 60 day program, our mission service team has been working to get them placed with other employers in the community that are needing employees. Because really if you, um, if we did a community needs assessment today, what we are hearing still, um, and a lot is we need employees here in West Virginia. So we kind of get them back on their feet, teach them how to get back to work. And then we place them. That is um, a huge piece of what we do, but, um, believe it or not, we have partnerships with like Bridge Valley where we, which is free that folks can use, uh, learn clerical skills. They can get an OSHA certification. We have partnerships with like Microsoft and Coursera where they can get like C plus plus training. You name if that's something yeah. to do with a computer, we can get yeah. certified. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I saw on the website it said two hundred thirty thousand people in the last year employed through Goodwill Industries nationally. Yeah, I mean, nationally. so that's that's clearly that's like putting people in positions to work, training people, retraining people, cleaning up that that's a huge, huge aspect of what Goodville, Goodwill provides to communities all across the country. It does. And a lot of times, not just folks, we um, historically have worked with a lot of folks with folks with um, disabilities and mm-hmm. barriers into employment. But here, I would say since the late 80s, early 90s, even, we are working with a lot of folks with disadvantages where there's not a lot of folks that are um correlate but there's a lot of change uh, that's coming through so legislation and then just better understanding folks that are getting out of incarceration they need a second chance so we're really a first second chance employer in our community and they yeah. come here they do a good job and then um all the not so much the large uh, corporations can bend the rules but we have so many small businesses in west virginia they hire our people and we get placements through that yeah you yeah. i think that um it goes to like there's just like general i think it's like a harmful and false perception that you know maybe it's easy for people just to say like people don't want to work and i think there's you know that's just like a statement that you can just throw out there in various contexts when people i think sometimes are frustrated that there's not enough employees at a certain business oh people just don't want to work these days or maybe if you are a business owner struggling with retaining talent and employees you might say oh people just don't appreciate hard work anymore 
But I think the nuance to it is that maybe people as a society were, were kind of demanding more or expecting more from our employers and investing in the employees through training programs, through a clear ladder to climb. And it's not just kind of the days to be blunt, like a factory worker and you just work your job. Here's a, here's the pay and that's it. And you just kind of, you're kind of kept at that level. I think people now, you know, are, are unwilling to maybe work in that environment. Maybe they do like in programs like yours that train and help and connect and grow seemingly should be maybe like the, the future of employment. I know it's easier to do maybe in your own space than it would be a, you know, a straight up corporate kind of environment. But I always just think when people say that statement, oh, people don't work anymore or people don't want to work anymore, I, I tend to think, well, maybe they just don't want to be taken advantage of anymore. Maybe they want a, a, like a sense of community belonging and upward trajectory within their community. And I think from hearing what you're saying, I, I think you all are kind of like a catalyst to give that person that maybe walked in off the street, worked with you all for two years, and then worked their way up and maybe they're climbing the ladder of some other organization within their community. Yeah, and I'm sure to piggyback off of that, that there is this, because there's a growing perception of more and more people don't want to work, it's the it's a false narrative, but maybe there's this growing fear, this anxiety that's coming with that as well. Well, people don't necessarily know where to go. And if people don't want to work, that you know, like I think that there maybe is this growing fear that people don't know how to go, what, where to go, how to work, you know, they, they're looking for outlets and opportunities, but you know, there's this growing narrative of like, well, nobody wants to work in that. I think that probably incites a little additional fear for people that may be wanting to work. They just don't know where to look. I would agree. We see a lot of folks that, you know, it's either their tools and resources they don't have, or they want to work somewhere that they feel like they're making an impact and they're giving back. We kind of have um, two um, causes that you have the mission piece and in the uh, operation side of what we're doing, it's very much, it has to be a business. We are a nonprofit, but without creating profit, you can't do the mission work because all of the programs we offer the community and even our employees are free. Um, this year, we almost skipped the 800 employee mark. We honest, and that put us in the top um, 40 largest employers in the state of West Virginia. So we have 800 people right at our fingertips that might be improving their lives or just using us as kind of like a stepping stone onto something else, which is pretty cool. But like you said, people want an impact. But, and they also want to earn a good wage. We focus a lot, and that number you said, the 230,000 placements, it's all kinds of nonprofits focus um, on different metrics. Our true mission here, and it's a pretty big, hairy, audacious goal, we really want to end poverty. And in order to do that, we have to help people get to a living wage. Yeah. We really track well, the living wage. And um, last month, just because we just, um, produce some of our statistics for our meeting. Believe it or not, here at our Goodwill, we were able to um, uh, place, I want to say it was 40, um, 40 employees out mostly in the community, but the average wage rate was like 15, 16 an hour, which is huge. And the average hours for those 40 people that we had placements in just January alone was 37 and a half hours. So wow. that's full time. <laughs> yeah, that's really above the living. Uh, the living wage rate, the poverty line here for Panama County, which, you know, people are wanting to work. One of the other cool things that we do that people in the retail stores learn about, a lot of people don't know this behind the scenes, but the donations from the community, if we, um, the things that make the sales floor everybody sees, 
but we like to say we were the original recyclers. Out of our 10 counties that we collected donations in, we um, actually diverted about 4.8 million pounds of recyclable material out of our landfills into other, I'm going to say other areas. Most of the recycling items, whether we're taking metal to the metal local metal scrapyard or the textiles are actually the commodity sold on a global market. We're, we're protecting our, um, I say protecting mother nature or earth in general, but collectively all of our good ones are doing that in some way, shape or form. And a lot of the folks that if the mission work and the employment thing doesn't resonate with them, recycling and sustainability is something that they um, can connect it into and believe in what we're doing too. So now I'm the recycling guy here. So I, I agree with all that stuff and I want to get back to the recycling stuff here in just a second, but okay. um, what, what is the living wage in the Kanawha Valley Charleston area of West Virginia right now? I mean, is it, has it scaled significantly over the last couple of years, decades? I'm sure it has, but like, is it, or is it a number that is almost beginning to get outrageous to a point or, or you know, what is that number? Do you know? So I would, I would um, be lying to you if I told you what it was today. We pull it off a, uh, uh, I want to say it's a federal website, but because of inflation, I want to say in the beginning of 2022, we were looking at like a 1287 an hour type living wage, but over even the last 10 or 12 uh, months, I want to say now it's near $14 an hour. So as we're tracking it, we move with whatever the federal number stays with Yeah, just because of what we know what it is. And our county by county, it actually sometimes differs. Yeah, I'm sure. 15, 1557, this website here, living wage in West Virginia is what it says for zero children. So if you're an adult, 1557 is what they're saying is a livable wage. They say poverty wage is 650 and then the minimum wage is 875. I guess the um, point that I'm making there is that like, has that made it harder on you all as job trainers and job seekers and placement, you know, comp has that made it difficult to like, Hey, we're going to come bring you in, train you and get you in a good position or in a living, uh, a living wage position. But you know, not everybody's paying 1550 or 1420, whatever the number is that, that, that seems to be a number that's fairly difficult to hit. And especially if you're talking about the small businesses where 98% or not some 90% number of small businesses in, or, or in West Virginia of West Virginia or small businesses, not every small business can pay that too. So has there, what, what challenges you know, we don't need to talk about dollars and cents all day, but I'm sure that that has brought a level of new challenges and unexpected challenges in a way. So to be honest, a lot of the times when we are getting our arms wrapped around the folks, we're having to try to help them meet many needs. Yeah. A job is really a lot of the time yeah. we're seeing. We help them get a job. Then we're partnering with people and we do a little piece of the SNAP benefit program where we can help them sign up for benefits, because sometimes that's very challenging to do. Uh, that helps, you know, when you're food insecure and home insecure, you really have a hard time focusing even on your work. So it's kind of a doing wraparound services, but even after, so after we get them a job and we're trying to secure food and housing for them, we really try to work on one of which this, this is why a lot of folks stick with us for a longer time. You have to help them get skilled up because we actually, in West Virginia, I say now is on the come up. Great things are coming back to us with manufacturing. And these manufacturing jobs are pre 
are much better wages. Great point. But they're not quite skilled yet. So we are partnering with other people in the community. And as manufacturers coming in, we work with the United Way, a lot of economic development uh, partners in all the territories so that we can say, what are you hearing you need so that we can start preparing curriculums for it? Right now, hospitality is huge. So we're able to, we've been partnering um, with folks. We already do, a, a, we call it a good host program, but we're training folks on um, the skills they need, which we kind of pivoted from that in the pandemic. It was very much focused on uh, restaurants and hotels, but that kind of shut down. So then it had to go to who needed the most help. And it was hospitals reaching out to us and saying, help us get employed. So it's kind of, um, we are always upskilling or helping them find ways. And really it's through having that caseworker working with you. So you have somebody giving you that positive feedback and encouragement where you may not even be able to get that at the outside or even as your employer, when you're there in the back room trying to produce your goal for the day so that um, we're able to sell things, you may not be thinking of what could I do to get this next job and then I move toward a career. So the minimum of, the wage rate moving so fast is is definitely a challenge because I don't even think they really include uh, internet in that living wage. So yeah, yeah, that's literally almost a necessity now to focus. It, it, absolutely. In life. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Okay, so let's wait. Let's go back to this recycling thing then. So, um, why are this is a little bit different than what we were talking about? But why don't we work in in West Virginia recycle glass? Do you know anything about the history of glass recycling in West Virginia and why that's not a thing anymore. You know, that's funny you mentioned that. I was just on a sustainability call the other day, and um, we have a couple, a couple of wells have found some folks that are in, uh, interested in recycling glass. Of course, mm-hmm. I'm sure it needs to be in bulk. And that's why as, as it grows, we get on calls collectively as groups, normally quarterly, and share things that are going on. So that uh, they're taking it to make basically sand. So, yes. Yeah. So I think it's going to come back in that form. Yeah. I don't know what it will be, but you, you know, honestly, we have a uh, an online store, so it's a non-traditional store, but our e-commerce store with uh, oh my gosh, we have the uh, what is the glass bling down mm-hmm. in Milton? We actually have a couple glass factories that still working and operating in West Virginia, but we have a lot of the glass come in and some of our um, largest uh, or not largest items but most common shipped out of the state items are those uh, those Blinko Fenton pieces the things which have probably been made right here in West Virginia is yeah you you see them come in through donations and you um, know people are you know changing their um, the look in their house but um, the, the glass is not as common in other parts of the country, so it's pretty interesting. So I, I'm not sure something's going to come back to glass recycling. I don't know how it's yeah. look yet. Yeah. I mean, I think there are ways, like you said, breaking it down to sand. I think that there, there are new techniques now that can really get it down to a sand as coarse as something that you you go to Myrtle Beach and pick up. Maybe Myrtle Beach isn't the best example. You might get something else in there if you're picking up the sand with your hands, but going somewhere with nice beaches and so... Yeah, I, I would hope that, you know, maybe they could use it in paving for roads, um, you know, reclaiming old mine sites, abandoned mine sites. I think that there is a, a, a future. Yeah, fill potholes. They could fill, well, I don't know if you want to fill potholes with glass, but. 
Like, yeah, well, it's sand, but like literally, it's sand though to the point yeah. where it, 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 if you can pave it, you know, literally, you can use it in the paving, and and so anyway, so I don't know, I, I don't know what the future, but I think that's been something that has been sitting on my mind for a while, and so I think it's interesting that that came up in this conversation about <laughs> from Goodwill. Now we're on the recycling train, but anyway, maybe Let's, something we'll, to keep in mind for you guys too. Yeah. <laughs> The sustainability piece is interesting because I didn't think of Goodwill through that lens, but when you do think about like the culture we live in of like fast fashion, like in just like people go through clothes and stuff that are in a yeah. position to be yeah. able to buy it and, you know, I can go out and buy five hoodies today and then I get bored of them. If I, it'd be an utter shame if I quote unquote threw those away and they just sit somewhere in a landfill, but like, but system, but Goodwill operating as, as a, as a catch all for people to like keep things in the system and then repurpose to somebody else. I mean, I, I didn't really think of it through that lens, but now that I do, I mean, that's, that's a tremendous, like, yeah, like sustainability and I guess preventing stuff from even going to like the landfill or just getting totally unused. And I, um, when I came to Goodwill, really, I was a donator. I wasn't a shopper, but then when I got in behind the scenes and realized, and I tell people now, I'm like, we want the good, the bad, and the ugly. If it has stains and missing buttons, just donate that too so it's not in our landfills but and we found purposes for it the uh we actually you know i told you we move it onto the global market and we send it to uh, grading factories and they grade it out you know denim is a very high commodity. i'd say it's actually right now is a commodity that people are wanting and overseas so they'll grade it out into denim sellables mm. like you know uh which was pretty cool things that absolutely you know that have the spaghetti stains on them that they're not going to make it anywhere as a reusable item it's not a vintage cool t-shirt <laughs> yeah. but they actually have a way to dissolve that uh, fabric down and it's in like your boxing mitts and your gloves so it's being repurposed in a way that most of us don't know yeah really cool wow and that's and that's the stuff that goodwill receives that's going somewhere that is being repurposed into basically new items of wear or new clothing items. That's, that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And on the back end is that it's a, there's a lot of staff, there's jobs created through that, which is also, you know, well, yeah, absolutely. I would say agencies wide out of our 16 stores, um, we bring back all the recycling. So we have three hubs. Um, Charleston being our main hub, but we have a hub in Beckley that helps support those stores and one in Parkersburg. But in totality, there's probably 16 additional part-time jobs where they're sorting through the recycling a little bit finer here and we're moving. Another thing that we recycle a lot, a lot of, and because of the, uh, um, I'm going to say the risk with it is we have a partnership with Dale Reconnect and as we call it it's with Dale but their program's called Dale Reconnect where we are collecting um electronics recyclables and they come and uh pick them up as we get truckloads of them ready keeps it out of landfills too but they get it they um are ISO certified there's all kinds of certifications where they claim the the uh electronics and then find ways to reuse those too so that's a, huh. a, a big recycling item, and especially for uh, larger businesses and corporations. If you go through an office and upgrade 100 office equipment units, what are we going to do with them? And we, we take them and keep them out of the landfill, too, because at that point, they're, people don't have a use for them. Yeah. yeah. Is there, is there um, a policy against, like, flipping? Because I feel like it's a, 
funny how culture works like now like yeah. vintage like clothing is kind of like popular and trendy people are, yeah. it's actually like expensive to agree i mean there's people that would probably go out and they go to goodwills and stuff and they they find stuff and they resell it on amazon because it's like fashionable but like yeah is there a policy against that do you guys advise it against that is it kind of like frowned upon how has have you kind of thought about that phenomenon or experienced it anyway so actually a lot of our customers are resellers and it's pretty cool um to when you think about it that there's still we which we try to sell everything and be really good stewards of our donations for the right price for the the time that we put things on the floor yeah. we have a lot of resellers that come in and they are making a living off of these yeah. items flipping items yeah pieces of furniture turning things into vintage yeah yeah it's it's really um you i guess now that you're saying it like that and i'm thinking about we i don't truly know somebody else way smarter than me now you don't really realize the economic impact we're doing behind so they just brought it away yeah, yeah. it out there and uh let folks do it the coolest i don't know I, the, the, we used to have a lot of i want to say more mature shoppers but since probably i don't know 2010 when facebook marketplace really started you know making reselling cool yeah. it has changed the shopping dynamic for interesting us. even for goodwill even yes because you know it, you know just like every business you're always trying to keep up with your shopper and your trends so over the years um we've been in business longer than many companies but you're constantly evolving to meet the needs of the community but also with a uh, social uh, entrepreneurial model you got to stay relevant for the folks that are wanting to spend money with you so that's been really cool it's helped make grease selling or buying used things cool again yeah, so you, you guys have leaned into it then. I was curious yeah. if it was like a if it was like a unspoken like frowned upon thing, or if you've kind of leaned into it, I could see where it would fuel an economic model. I mean, look at the end of the day, like like you said, like you can't do any philanthropic work without actually having the funds from your resale operation. So it kind of it feeds the beast, if you will. Um, it's just I'll call them we're millennials, the Gen Z. So it's like you picture like someone like quote unquote Gen Z. It's like the best thing to find would be like a vintage nineteen eighty nine you know w crew neck sweater like that's like an 80 90 dollar you know find right there but people do that people that's weird people find some crazy things from goodwill and that was somebody's grandpa's sweater that was yeah exactly to goodwill possibly now that that same thing which i guess yeah that that is a sustainable way of keeping instead of that thing just getting thrown away now it's 90 dollars back in the community which goes to scholarships and you know helps you all run your operations i guess it all as a way of kind of working its way back in yeah 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 so there's a there's a quote on your website um i'm sure it's on every goodwill website but it's from reverend edgar helms who is the founder of goodwill originally in boston and the, the quote is a hand up not a hand out a hand up not a hand out and i feel like everything that we've touched on has still kind of fits that <laughs> is six word phrase right there uh, or maybe it's seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven words there, not six. Uh, but I feel like it definitely that goodwill the the services that you guys provide. This is not just giving away. You know, there there are. Okay, I don't know how to put this in a in a way that doesn't come off negatively. But you are training people, you are helping people, and giving people opportunities. This is not just giving somebody. You know, I, I don't know the handout, but you were training people how to to work their way back up 
the ladder of life, I guess. I mean, do you talk about the quote too, because that is pretty powerful, actually. A hand up, not a hand out. So that is really, we stay true to that. We um, meet people right where they are, and that looks different yeah. for everybody, but whether it's helping them navigate service in his work, we know and you see, and there's a ton of research on it, when people are actively engaged in a job, they there's something about that confidence that rebuilds into them, but they realize, you know, their tax dollars are going back into the community and it really starts fueling a fire that, um, that sometimes we may take for granted, but you know, I don't, I don't know about you. We were at a Super Bowl party on Sunday and one of the most often and quite common questions you ask, and it was one of the first things somebody had asked me when they see me, they're like, Hey, what are you doing now? And I was like, Hey, it worked for good. But that's how people identify all the time too. You're so with that, um, with the work, you know, we have goals. None of the jobs are, which fortunate for us, um, you, you mentioned earlier, minimum wage is 875 and our retail stores, our entry level wage is already at 1175. So we're progressively moving the, the wage up internally too. Um, but we, we, we provide you with a, um, I say a good job. A lot of folks come mm -hmm. here and get a good start, but even with their services, if you're, you have to be willing to come. There's, I say, there's nothing really given away. We provide opportunities. And mm -hmm. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, like it, it beats. It's hard to even. I'm sure you guys have your ways of tracking, but it's the impact on it of of the organization, and it, it's it's honestly hard to even quantify what it does for. I mean, how do you quantify lifting a thousand eight hundred people's spirits right i mean what number can you put on a piece of paper you can't but you can obviously see that that has an impact on a culture um you know like west virginia too and we've spoken about with you know some folks about like like i think it was um who was it what is it maybe jessica greathouse i think with the west virginia um housing development fund about like does there is like are west virginians sometimes too prideful to accept help i think sometimes we have to be like you know, we have this resilient culture, but sometimes it's okay to need help. And it's like, you, you can lean on these community groups. So I think, um, does that maybe, does that, the question, I guess there is, does that phenomenon ever occur? Do you find like West Virginians are extremely receptive of it? And like, maybe how have you, have you seen that maybe over time it maybe changed when someone kind of realizes once they get involved, they volunteer, they work there, how they, then they become someone that's like giving out all this like goodness into the community when they were the on the recipient end of it at first. I would say if if we are able to make the impact in their lives and they could connect the dots and we've helped them get over that uh, like major um, hurdles of having you know power, water, sewer, home, food on the table, um, they have enough time to think about that. And you see them kind of volunteer at our volunteer opportunities we create, and they do um, really. I don't want to say live, eat, breathe, and sleep goodwill, but they do really appreciate the opportunity. But it is um, often, even with our employees, our mission team um, has a rotation of going out to our stores like every other week. And until we truly have a relationship built, they won't, they don't even come to us. And I think a little bit of it is pride and a little bit of it's fear and intrepidation of not understanding what it is we do. But if we've, between the store manager and our mission team, they feel comfortable with this, sometimes it'll take three or four visits before they would say, hey, um, you know, my, it, it could be anything. We have scholarship programs that have a little less strings attached, but it's like, 
Yeah. So grandson's going into barber school, but we really don't have the money to get the shears and the clippers. Does that scholarship help with that? And it's us writing a scholarship for $483 for the clippers. And then there's a turnaround, but um, I don't know that I answered your question well. No, you did. It was. It is very impactful. And then years later, for some of our folks, whether it may be board members or other people you meet in the community, they'll, they'll, uh, They'll be like, you know, I never thought about it, but when I was 17 or when I was nine, and they have these stories and it comes back to us, that really what we're doing, when we get people into the workforce, we're able to change. And it's tough to see it. It is really tough to track this um, generational changes with being able to see a mom and dad went to work, now brother and sister's going to work. When I grow up, I have to go to work. And that is a lot of... Um, I think some of the challenges we experience in West Virginia, if there's enough benefits out there and they're to find ways to survive, we have to get into their um, thinking to say, what would it be like to start working? And, and then what would it look like if I went on to nursing school? Yeah, you did, you did, you did answer it. It was somewhat, of a, sometimes on here, I just kind of, it's like a vague, like try to work through my idea of like what I'm getting through. But I guess the bottom line is that like, it, it's not embarrassing. And this is a good philosophy for any aspect of life at people at any level with any problem is that it, it's not embarrassing to ask for help. Like life is yeah. difficult. Life is yeah. challenging. Some people get dealt tougher hands than some people. Some, some people start a poker game with a better hand than you. And that's the luck of the draw. So, I mean, it's yeah. not embarrassing to, to ask for help, to lean on resources, um, so I guess that's why I was teasing out. And then I think you answered it perfectly. It's over time, it, it could be a generational change and people see the impact of it. And they're like, you know what? Yeah. Like they did that. My brother did that. My dad did that. Now I'm going to do this. And they, they set higher and higher goals for themselves. And that's how you lead to, you know, growth and prosperity within a culture and a community. Well said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get there eventually. I get eventually. There. It's, a, I, it's, it's, it's a, 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 <laughs> get it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that game. Dig dug where you're just like going around all over the place, but then eventually you get to where you're going. Eventually you get to you help to the hole. Yeah, y'all help me get there, but uh, yeah, sometimes. Well, Cassia, is there anything that you want to expand on that maybe we haven't talked about? You know, this has been very informative, and I think you've helped clarify, you know, what the the impact that Goodwill has in in you know every community, not just in West Virginia, but globally. You know, is there anything else that you'd just like to share about the the, the message of Goodwill and the impact that it does have? not so much share any less message i would say maybe for anybody that would watch this and even for you all see it sometimes you'll hear some negative things about maybe i'll say stronger nonprofits, but sometimes goodwill is one of them and if you would just say hey you know maybe reach out to the local folks we do a lot of lunch and learns here and take people on tours so they understand what impacts and programs that we have but you could do that in every community because most Goodwills are always setting up tours and trying to help people understand it's more than a store. It's more than um, that we really are trying to, in poverty, we're trying to help place people with barriers. We we like to do our part in the community through work or education and partner with people doing education at a higher level. But now this is a really good time, y'all. Yeah, yeah, There's thank you. Questions. Yeah, well, good. You know, another point too, sorry, uh, but I know that this seems to be brought up every now and then of like cents per dollar is actually given to charity or used in a charitable way. Like 
I don't know if you know who Russell Wilson is, but I guess his charity, it's like a very low percentage of the cents per dollar for his charities being used. That's what they're reporting. Who knows the truth? But, it, you know, I just did. Goodwill's reporting 90 cents per dollar, um, you know, was spent towards some philanthropic way, some charitable way. Uh, another site was saying 82 cents a dollar on the dollar. So if you're if you're going to go through Goodwill, it's clearly like the, the standard is very high and you guys are, are pushing every penny to be used in a charitable way as much as possible in a sustainable way as well for everybody. So, you know, hats off to you guys. You're doing incredible work. Congratulations on taking this new job. You were, you know, in this, uh, or how long have you been here now? I think I missed that part. Yeah, I actually started in 2019. Yeah. Um, three years, a little more than three years ago, we actually um, fired a new CEO, but he was mm-hmm. in the football movement. He came here and I took over um, operations for the stores and our janitorial program that we do. So five years in March. There you go. Yeah. Well, good deal. Well, thank you for everything. This has been great. And uh, yeah, uh, hopefully we can stay in touch. But you guys are awesome and keep doing great work. Absolutely. Thanks, Cooper. Thanks, Steve.